Would you turn with me in the scriptures? Two passages. First of all, to Ephesians chapter 6. And then secondly, way toward the back, the very last, the second last chapter, very last chapter of the Old Testament, or the New Testament, Revelation 22. Ephesians 6 and Revelation 22, and then if you have your Psalter hymnals, the great Psalter hymnals, would you turn in that to Lord's Day 12, the same Lord's Day as we dealt with this morning, page 873 in your great Psalter hymnals in the back. And just keep your finger in that or lay it open beside you uh, on the pew or something so that you can go to that, because we'll go to that in a moment. So first of all, then Ephesians chapter 6, the verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which, which you, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So far from Ephesians 6, and then if you would turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. First part of that chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And the angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. The word of the Lord.
And then if you look for a moment at Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 873. And then you'll remember this morning that Pastor Amanda introduced us to all this with the words, why is he called Christ, which means anointed, because he has been anointed by God the Father as our eternal king, that's what we're going to deal with, prophet, priest, and king. And then why are you called a Christian? Because I share in that anointed anointing, and therefore so I'm also a prophet, priest, and king, or queen, as the case may be. So if you have a, keep that in front of you, then, and the scripture passages as well, then we're going to look at all of that together. So brothers and sisters in Christ, this evening we're once again going to return to the question raised by the service this morning in uh, Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Why are you called a Christian? Now that's a significant question because just saying that we are a Christian because we believe in God doesn't cut it. That's not a significant answer, a sufficient answer to the question because 95% plus people of the general population say they believe in God. And yet many of those who say that they believe in God are not necessarily Christians. You say, I'm a Christian, Bob, because I go to church. But that's not a very solid answer either. Not everyone who sits in the pews every Sunday is a Christian necessarily. You say, I'm a Christian because, well, I'm not a Hindu, or I'm not a Muslim, or I'm not a Jew. And therefore, because I'm none of them, therefore I must be a Christian. But that kind of an answer doesn't mean very much either. It puts no content into that word, Christian. If you say, I am a Christian, you ought to be able to put some meaning, some content, into that statement. So I love the answer that the Heidelberg Catechism gives us. It's a deeper, more full answer. To be a Christian means that you are someone who has, like Jesus, as Pastor Amanda put it, been smeared, been anointed, called out, set aside for a specific purpose and task. So answer 32 tells us that being a Christian means, first of all, that we've been anointed to confess his name. That is to say, we're anointed to be priests or prophets. Someone who declares the word of the Lord, declares the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all areas of life. We've been anointed to declare that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, answer 32 tells us, we've been anointed to present myself as a living sacrifice of thanks. Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving. That is to say, we have been anointed as priests called upon to sacrifice our total lives for the sake of Jesus. Now we can spend a whole lot of time on those two areas. We could spend sermons on those two areas. We're not going to do that tonight. Because finally, answer 32 tells us that we have been anointed as kings and queens, and that's where I want to come down tonight. That's where I want to spend some time with the proclamation that we are royalty. And actually, if you read the catechism and if you, if you look at how the answer comes, it's almost as if the definition of the Christian comes to a climax in this particular office. Prophet, 
priests, kings, and queens. Now, in our day and age, and in our particular setting, when we think of royalty, we may not be terribly impressed that we are called kings and queens. After all, royalty as we're acquainted with it doesn't really mean too much anymore. It doesn't have much power. They may be rich, they may have some economic clout, they may be well established in their respective nations with histories going back generations, and so they may be able to wield some influence over the public and the government, but the actual power of today's world's royal families is all but gone, at least compared to a number of centuries ago. Whereas kings and queens used to be absolute monarchs over their territories and nations, today they're no more than a figurehead. Whereas the ones who sat on the thrones of the world used to have armies at their disposal and command, today the royals are merely honorary commanders-in-chief. As you know, today true power lies in the hands not of the monarch, but of elected officials. But when we talk about Christian being a king or a queen as being royalty, then we ought not to think of royalty as they are presently functioning or as we presently understand them in our world. Rather, if we were to try and understand what the Catechism is thinking about in terms of royalty, we ought to remind ourselves of what God thought of royalty, what God expected of Old Testament kings, of Old Testament royalty. And you get a taste for that. We had a taste of that when we read Psalm 72, that royal psalm. In the Old Testament, the task of a true king was not to lord it over his people. But the task of the king was to reflect the ruling relationship God had over his people. And so to begin with, the king... Israel's king, for example, was to do all in his power to encourage his people to worship the Lord God, the true king of Israel. So he was to be an encourager in the faith and to point people to the true king, Yahweh. Well, besides being an encourager in the faith, he was also called upon to protect the people, to provide for their health needs, to provide them with food and shelter and clothing and so on. In other words, as a king was supposed to be the one in the Old Testament who encouraged his people to live in obedience to the Lord God of Israel as summarized in the Ten Commandments. And if we were to take a close look at the laws of the Old Testament, well, then you would know that the Ten Commandments are kind of chapter headings for a whole lot more that comes under each of those commandments. And if you look even at the Heidelberg Catechism, as they explain the Ten Commandments, you discover there's a whole lot more than, than simply don't take something from somebody else. So there were more than just laws about not stealing or not killing. There were laws about land ownership, about diet, about hygiene, and so forth. God was a complete, caring, and loving king, concerned with every single aspect of people's lives. 
and he wanted the people to be healthy and to be well and to be strong and to be living for his glory. And a real king, a true king, would go so far as to even to give his life to protect his people. And so to be the king of Israel in the Old Testament was to hold a special office, one who reflected the rule of the Lord. Now think for a moment about Jesus in connection with the office of king. Answer 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism calls Jesus our eternal king. That is to say, if there was ever a true king, it was Jesus. Jesus was neither a mere figurehead nor an hon merely an honorary commander-in-chief of the heavenly armies. Jesus also did not give up his power and place it in the hands of a parliament or an elected body. No, Jesus is our eternal King, the King of glory, the Lord Almighty. And certainly the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which was a fulfillment of the prophecy of, Isaiah, of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, is a clear reference to the kingship of Jesus. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. And then there's all sorts of references throughout the scriptures that talk about Jesus sitting on the throne of Israel. Jesus as being the one who sits on David's throne for all eternity. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father as ruler, king, and judge, having been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And certainly during his time on earth, Jesus showed us something of his authority, his kingship, his lordship. He said to the wind and the waves, peace, be still, and they were. Bread was multiplied with both the feeding of the four and five thousand people. He showed his royal power over Satan and the whole of the evil domain by not only casting out demons, but also by resisting the temptation of the devil. He showed his royal authority over his enemies who shook in his presence. Remember that wonderful story in the Garden of Gethsemane. Once they heard the royal name of God, I am he, they fell back, unable to even touch him until the time was right according to God's plan. And only then, when the king had given them permission did the enemies touch and arrest Jesus. He healed the sick. He showed his royal authority over all things when he raised people from the dead. He changed people's lives. When he said, follow me, people obeyed and followed him. And says the Bible, one day that Jesus is coming back as the great judge. To the one who has been given all authority belongs the task of separating the sheep from the goats, the believers from the unbelievers. And on the day of judgment, says the Bible in Philippians 2, when he shall be seen as reigning supreme, everyone, whether believer or non-believer, will bow the knee before the Lord and declare him to be Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the beauty of the answer found in Lord's Day 12 concerning the kingship of Jesus shows that Jesus is a good king. A protecting king. He is an Old Testament king par excellence, 
For unlike human beings, once we are his, he guards us and keeps us in the freedom that he has won for us. That is to say, through his sacrifice on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, Jesus won the great victory over sin and over Satan. And now neither of them can have a lasting grip on those who are his. We have been saved to serve him for all eternity and nothing can stand in the way of our being able to live freely for him. Our King, the Lord of all, the one who calls the very shots in the universe and ultimately in our lives in terms of our eternal futures, is the one who continues to look out for his people. Psalm 121, he neither slumbers or sleeps. And Romans 8, he works all things for good for those who love the Lord. And Jesus Christ, as a matter of fact, was such an exemplary king that he even went so far as to lay down his own life to protect and save those whom he loves. There is indeed no greater king than Jesus. Anointed as king. Now remember that a Christian, a Christian is one who has been anointed to the same office as Jesus. Because we share in his anointing since we are members of Christ. And so it is that we are royalty like Jesus was royalty, is royalty. Our kingship is related to Jesus' kingship. Our royalty is a direct result of Jesus' royalty. And once we are kings and queens, we are always kings and queens. That's a line from C.F. Lewis's Narnia series, Tales of Narnia. It's such a beautiful scene when the four children are crowned kings of Narnia. Aslan tells them, once a king and queen of Narnia, always a king and queen. Indeed, quite the office. But as we have already noted with Old Testament royalty and as we've already noted with the kingship of Jesus, there's more to it than just having the name or being a figurehead. Being royalty is a call to service and part of the task of a royal is, in answer 32, to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. That's an interesting line. The Christian life is often compared to a battle. We're the soldiers of the Lord doing the fighting in what is sometimes almost like hand-to-hand -hand combat. And again, you think of the imagery of Narnia and the fighting against the hosts of darkness and, and the kingdom of evil. Timothy, for example, was encouraged to endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And because of the battle that we're confronted with, we're encouraged to put on, as we read in Ephesians 6, that whole armor of God. And that battle is very real, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The same forces with which Jesus fought. And these forces can seem so strong at times. As the songwriter put it, Psalm, Psalter Hymnal 575, Christian, 
Do you battle Satan's power within all his striving, luring, tempting you to sin? You know, sometimes it seems to me that Satan is working harder with Christians to get them to sin. All, of course, in some way to discredit the kingdom of heaven and God himself. And so Satan tries us to get to ignore our commander's orders, and he says, and that's okay. And then there's times when we actually do ignore the commander's orders. So we mess up. We say stupid things that hurt others. We're tempted by the riches of this world. We cheat, thinking that no one will know, no one will see. We do things in secret, thinking that no one will be the wiser, no one will get hurt. We get carried away with our lust. We think better of ourselves than others and so on. Oh, there's so many different examples of how we fail and how we sin. We need to come to be honest and come to terms with the fact that we are weak, that we are vulnerable, and it's a constant struggle to be obedient. Temptation is so very real. Knowing these things does not excuse our sinning, but it does help us to understand why we fail so often. And knowing that we are weak and that we struggle with personal temptations also helps us to understand that we cannot live on our own. But we need that armor of God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Lord. And we need to know that the Lord indeed does help us to overcome and to withstand the temptations that may confront us. But even beyond that, our, only, our struggle is not only against personal temptations, but we also share in Christ's great battle on earth. Even though Christ has won the victory, the perfection he is working for us is not quite here yet, and it won't be until Jesus returns. And so as Christians, we're, not, we're called upon to not only fight our own battles, but also fight against evil as it manifests itself in our world and in our society. And so there's a whole list, and this is not exhaustive. In other words, we must fight against injustice, racism, discrimination, abortion, substance abuse, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, sexual misuse, pornography, greed, pollution, humanism, and so on. The battle is great. Kings and queens fight this battle. And says the Catechism, we can fight these battles with a free and good conscience. Because what that means is the Christian lives, acts, and fights as a person who has been freed by Christ and who has no fear about the outcome of the battle. We get that armor, and that armor allows us to stand and to be and not be finished. Liberated by Jesus' death, the Christian knows that Jesus has the final word in all things. Actually, Jesus' great triumph spelled the end and the final destruction of evil. The writing is on the wall, so to speak, for evil and for Satan. That's the one thing about the passion of the Christ. If you've ever seen that film, not that I'm really into films, but... When Jesus dies on the cross in the passion of the Christ, there is a drop that comes from his face. And then I think the writer has very creatively done so 
that drop goes all the way down and makes an impact in the world and then you see that Satan figure and the Satan figure screams and yells this blood curling yell because he knows at that particular point he has been defeated the writing is on the wall for evil and for Satan true now life continues to be a struggle and as we rule in his name but says Paul in 2nd Timothy if we endure we will also reign with him and we will endure because of what Jesus Christ has done kings and queens always kings and queens we are now part of what we used to call the church militant but one day we'll be part of that church triumphant. And the portion we read from Revelation also speaks to this. Revelation 22.5 is a reference to God's people or God's servants. And concerning them it says they will reign forever and ever. We will one day rule as we have been called to rule. Even at the very beginning of creation when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to care for it to rule it, to name the animals, and so on. One day we will once again be given our rightful place, or at least the place in the Lord intended for us to have on the new earth. And we'll be given it by grace because of Jesus. And then you know what? The Bible even says, and that's another whole sermon, we'll be even going to rule over angels. When we die, we don't become angels. We remain humans. We are human beings. And we'll even rule over angels. You and I have been anointed to fight against sin and the devil in this life as kings and queens of Narnia. It's not always an easy battle, but we can go forward confident that the victory will be ours in Christ Jesus and afterward, we will reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. Answer 32. In spite of the battle, however, the Christian does not wait for the kingdom as a hypothetical possibility. No, by faith, the Christian already lives in the kingdom of heaven. And he knows and she knows that because of Christ and his victory, all the promises of eternal life that we also heard this morning in the sacrament of baptism will be a reality. Christians can count on the fact, you can stake your life on the fact that one day we will be perfectly to rest restored to what we were before the fall into sin. God's perfect governors on earth under the direct command of our eternal King, Jesus. Allow me to end all this with a quote from Reverend Andrew, Andrew Kivenhoven. I love the way he writes, and he writes so much beautiful material about the Catechism. He says this, Christians are people who have a job to do and a mission to accomplish. We have a job, small j, and we have a job, capital J. We aren't merely clerks, computer whizzes, factory workers, teachers, students, homemakers, lab technicians, carpenters, farmers, healthcare workers, mechanics, welders, tradesmen, and so on, but we're all office bearers. We belong to Christ. 
Therefore we have been appointed and anointed for prophetic, priestly, and royal tasks. We have been empowered to render a particular service. He goes on, the life I now live in the flesh is the fulfillment of my office. And my retirement, in brackets, my death, is my promotion to glory, to reign forever, to sing forever, to give without reservation. Life, he says, is not eating, drinking, mating, growing old, seeing the doctor, paying the bills, keeping going until we're finally let down into a hole six by three feet. Jesus saved us from this kind of slow death. Christ appointed us to another style. Life is the fulfillment of the calling. And the nobility of life is holding office. And it is this office that lends dignity to whatever job we are doing. God's office bearers can hold any jobs as long as they fulfill their offices. Why are you called a Christian? The answer is loaded with meaning. We are prophets, priests, kings and queens, now and always. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the offices to which you have called us. We confess, O oh Lord, that sometimes it's a little overwhelming and we don't feel that prophetic or that priestly or that royal. But regardless of how we feel, nonetheless, this is the high plane upon which you have put us. Incredible, amazing, wonderful. Help us, Lord, to live out of our office. Help us to live in such a way that your word is spread that our lives are offerings of thanksgiving and that we fight against all the things that stand opposed to your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord, then for the incredible promise. Once a king and a queen, always a king and a queen. To you be the glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.